Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Okay, yeah, interesting, challenging, disturbing. I see I have strange attributes used to describe me. <laughs> it's good to be here with you all. Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Um, in the first service, after that, people came and asked me, Who are you? Huh? We never see you before. So let me introduce <laughs> myself. <laughs> My name is Guo Yi. Um, I'm a full-time staff, full-time ministry staff at Covenant EFC. I'm based at Bukit Panjang. And I lead the Genesis district together with Pastor Darwin, who is the district mentor. And uh, my other work at Covenant also involves teaching at IDMCI, so that's our IDMC Institute. And yeah, my, my passion is really to help people understand the Word of God better and to live it out, bringing life to faith and faith to life. Right, so my, my sermon for today um, is going to be a little bit unusual. It's titled The Love of Christmas, which is not very unusual, but it's going to get unusual in a short while. Um, but a little bit more about me, my wife and I, those of you all who were here when I last preached will probably remember that we missed the ferry uh, multiple times when we were in Canada. I studied in Canada for three years, and we liked Canada so much that this year we went back again to Canada to see the four colours. So that's my wife and I, and she's by far and away the more artsy side, the more creative side of the two of us. Um, if you ask me to do anything related to cutting, using scissors to cut or use glue, the only thing that will happen is there'll be a tremendous mess all over the place, right? So that's, that's a bit of us. And the other thing that we did while we were in Canada was we were exposed to a lot of church liturgy and tradition, which is something that we are not quite used to here in Covenant EFC. So I thought, why not use this chance, since this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, to share a little bit of church liturgy and tradition with you all. And uh, just in case you might be thinking, wow, tradition, uh, is that for old people? Uh? Well, not quite, because one of the great church historians of the 20th century, his name is Yaroslav Pelikan, um, he defined tradition as the living faith of the dead. And that's different from traditionalism, which is the dead faith of the living. Tradition as the living faith of the dead, traditionalism as the dead faith of the living. And Pelican goes on to say that tradition allows us to live in conversation with the past. And in doing so, we remember where we are and when we are. And it becomes a guide for us because we understand better why we are and who we are and how we are to live faithfully today in the world. So true tradition, right? The, the living faith of the dead, true tradition binds the church together across time, across geopolitical boundaries, one church across the world, across time, under Jesus Christ. Right? So the, the tradition that I'm going to share with you today is called Advent, and many of you know that we are in a season of Advent, which is basically the four weeks that are leading up to Christmas. And we have an Advent tradition that runs way back to the 16th century Lutherans. Okay? Uh, in order to do this, I will need some help from some of you. So 
if my IDMCI uni graduates are here, can you all come up, please? I see Tiara. Lai, lai, lai. Don't paise. Is Asher here? Asher, come. Anyone? Any other IDMCI uni graduates? Male lah. Uh, let me see. Chris Chan, where are you? Christabel Chan. I see you have Keith. Bring Keith up with you. Come, come, come. Then I don't have to look for another person. Amazing. Okay. So the, the Advent tradition, as I mentioned, goes back to the goes back to the 16th century. And basically it used to it is a way of reminding Christians of what we wait for as we lead up to Christmas. Okay? Um, the purple cloth is the liturgical colour for prayer and for repentance. And Advent is really a time where the Christians, as we wait for the coming of a Saviour, pray to God in anticipation and in repentance of our sins. That's also why the candles are purple. And uh, unfortunately, I bought the candles that advertise themselves as four hours. Then I light them during the first service and more than half of them is gone already. So we shall just hope that the candles hold out for the second service, okay? So I'm going to invite each of them, right, to read a passage and to light the candles in turn. The first candle is called the candle of hope. Okay, it's called the candle of hope because in the Old Testament, there's all these prophecies of the Messiah to come, a saviour of the world who is going to come to redeem God's people. And that is what the hope candle signifies. And I think that Tiara has number one. Yes. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9.6 We light the first candle, waiting in hope for the Lord, for He is our help and our shield. Our second candle is called the candle of peace. And this peace represents what the angelic choir sang that night. Right, when the angel came and announced to the shepherds that a saviour has been born. Asher. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. Luke chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. We light the second candle, seeking true peace in our lives, in the community, in the world. And the third candle, you might have noticed, is a different colour. It's a pink colour candle. And it is pink because pink is the liturgical colour for joy. And first week, second week, the pink candle comes exactly in the middle of Advent and it's a break from that time of prayer and repentance to celebrate the joy that the angels announce to the shepherd. And it's precisely the passage that Pastor Kingman opened the service with in a pre-service prayer, and it's also the passage that Pastor Tony preached from last week. An angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Luke chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. We light the third candle with joy, knowing that a Saviour is born to us, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. 
And our last candle is the candle of love, which of course is the title of this morning's sermon, the love of Christmas. And this love, we remember the love of God that was poured out, that God should send His Son for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 we light the fourth candle, thankful for the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Thank you. You may be seated. So, Advent traditions. I hope that was meaningful for you. And as the candles were lit, right, they represent a spark that is lit in the darkness each step of the way. Now, we have one more candle, obviously, that is not yet lit. We'll get back to the candle later. But I want to bring us to our passage for today's sermon, The Love of Christmas. And it's impossible to exhaust the love of God, right? You can preach about it for an entire year and you will still not be able to finish talking about what God's love really means. And I'm sure you all have heard many other sermons on the love of God as well. Uh, Don Carson wrote a book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God, which is actually a very difficult book to read. Right? So we could go on all day and all night, but today I'm going to do something a little bit special. I'm going to bring us to another text that has been used in traditional liturgy for many, many years. This one goes way back to the early church. And this passage in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, is what people call the Magnificat. And the Magnificat basically means to magnify or to exalt. That comes from Mary's opening, my soul magnifies the Lord. Okay? Um, what happens in traditional liturgy is that people will pray this prayer or they would sing this song during the evening service. And in some traditions, they even pray it every single evening. Okay, so today I'd like to invite you all to stand with me as we recite the Magnificat together. One, two, three, go. <laughs> my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, you're supposed to say thanks be to God. Let's try again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. <laughs> so, the love of Christmas. I'm not going to go into a deep exposition of the Magnificat. That would take too many days. And if you are interested, you can go and study how the Magnificat makes so many references to all different parts of the Bible, even how it introduces the entire Gospel of Luke. 
I'm not going to do that, right? Today, I'm going to take a slightly more devotional slant in the sermon because I don't want it to be too heavy as well. So in talking about the love of Christmas, we're just going to look at four key points that come out of Mary's song. The first point is God looks upon our state. Second point, God offers us His grace. Third point, God vindicates his people, and finally, God empowers his servants. So you have the love of Christmas, right? God looks upon our state, God offers us his grace, God vindicates his people, and God empowers his servants. Now, I wonder how many of you have wondered about what Mary's Christmas was like. I mean, we go around wishing people Merry Christmas all the time, right? But what did Mary's Christmas look like? What did, in particular, what did the lead up to Mary's Christmas look like? This was a 16-year-old, no more than 16-year-old young lady. Because in those days, that's when Jewish girls get married. 16 years old. She's in secondary school for all practical purposes by Singapore standards. And suddenly an angel appears to her and tells her, you're going to get pregnant. Can you imagine what that was like? She is engaged to be married to a man. Obviously, they have not had sex with each other yet. And now the angel tells you, you're going to get pregnant. In a culture where premarital sex and pregnancy is utterly taboo. And yet Mary chooses to believe what the angel said. Right? She not only believes what the angel said, she rushes to find her cousin Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth had also been visited by an angel, and Elizabeth was not young. Elizabeth was probably in her 60s by the time the angel visited her. And so you find a 16-year-old young lady going to find a 60-year-old old lady to figure out if what the angel had told her was really true because the angel said, look, even your relative Elizabeth, she is pregnant and with child. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary quickly packs her bags and she sets off on a long journey from where she was in Nazareth, that's up there, the red circle up there. And from what we know from tradition, Elizabeth stayed near Jerusalem. Now that distance between Nazareth and Jerusalem is about 130 kilometers if you don't know how far 130 kilometers is, basically you walk from BPJ all the way to East at Expo. And then you come back. And then you go there and then you come back again and you still haven't had 130 kilometers. You still got 10 more kilometers to go. That's how long Mary, in her early days of pregnancy, walked to find out whether what the angel told her was actually true. And it's a tiring journey. You see this terrain there? There's mountains on either side. This road is already the modern-day road, right? In, in Mary's time, it was not, so, not as good as this. And, you know, all these things must be running through Mary's head. But yet, when she eventually reached Elizabeth's house, this is the traditional location of Elizabeth's house at Ayn Karim, um, the, the baby that is six months in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy. And Mary's like, wow, what's going on? Uh? And 
Instead of Mary blessing Elizabeth, which is what is normal for that culture because the weaker party blesses the stronger party, and Mary was a commoner as far as we know. Elizabeth was from a priestly tribe. Her husband, Zechariah, was serving in the temple, so he's clearly of a higher status. Instead of Mary blessing Elizabeth, Elizabeth blesses Mary and says that, how is it that the mother of my Lord would come to me? And Mary believes and stays there with Elizabeth for another three months until John is born, right? But as Elizabeth blesses Mary, Mary responds in song, and that is the Magnificat that we have just read, right? So our first point, God looks upon our state. God looks upon our state. See, Mary is a devout Jew, right? I mean, people living in Israel, as long as they are Jews at the time, they are mostly devout and they are waiting for a saviour to come because that's what God promised. That's what God promised to their fathers, Abraham, to David. This is the land that God has promised them. But amidst all the years of struggle, being sent off into exile, they have seen empires change hands from the Babylonians to the Persians, then to the Greeks, then to the Maccabees, and now Rome is their conqueror. But there's no Messiah in sight, you know. So what has happened to the promises of God? Mary, being a Jew, is looking forward to that. And as she sings, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. There's something in Mary that still recognises that God is her Saviour. Why? Because he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on, all the generations will call me blessed. So, How does Mary know that God looks upon her humble estate? Well, I think it is because Mary understands the story and the journey of Israel. And part of that journey, one of the big things that happened in that journey was the Exodus. And when Moses met the Lord at the burning bush, this is what God said in Exodus chapter 3. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. You see, friends, our God is not one who is so far off that he's just not interested in the affairs of this world. From beginning to end, the Bible presents a God who is intimately aware. He sees, he knows, and he hears our cry. But he doesn't just do that. He doesn't just look upon our estate and like, hey, okay, you all go and do your own taizi, okay? I will just be God here in heaven. No, he doesn't do that. Uh, notice what Exodus says next. I have come down to deliver them. And central to the Israelite ideology is that their God is one who sees and who acts upon it. And that's what it means when it says that God offers us His mercy or God offers us His grace. His mercy and His grace are not just some airy-fairy notion of pity. That's not it. Our God acts in accordance with what He sees and what He hears and what He knows. And sometimes we don't quite get this. We don't quite get that God can act on our behalf. A lot of times it's because we are too comfortable in Singapore. We think we can go about our own lives and by and large, we are pretty well. We are quite okay. Right? Life is not too bad in Singapore. Even when the crypto crisis is going on, well, we are still okay. We have our savings in our fixed deposits and in our SGX stocks and whatever. But, you know, perhaps one of the reasons why we, we don't understand how God acts on our behalf is because we think too highly of ourselves. And this is precisely what Mary is meditating on, you see. 
He who is mighty, God is the one who is mighty, has done great things for me. His humble servant and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In the 14th century, there was a nun. Her name is Julian of Norwich. Uh, Julian because that's her name and Norwich because she was born in the English city of Norwich. And she received a series of revelations by, by the way of visions from the Lord while she was having a very high fever. So she was struggling. She was trying to make sense of what is happening. And she asked God to reveal himself to her. And in this fifth chapter of what is called the revelations of love or revelations of divine love, Julian of Norwich said that God showed her a hazelnut. So if you've not seen a hazelnut, it's about uh, the size of a 20 cent coin or about the size of a macadamia nut. And God asked her, what is this hazelnut? And Julian looked at it and Julian said, well, this is all of creation. Everything, all of creation compressed into the size of a tiny hazelnut. And she saw this hazelnut in the hand of God. 20 cent coin in the hand of God. And this is what Julian wrote. Julian wrote that every single thing owes its existence to the love of God. I saw that this tiny thing had three properties that are essential to it. The first, God made it. The second, God loves it. And third, God preserves it. What gives that hazelnut significance? It's not that the entire cosmos is there. It's that God made it, God loves it, and God preserves it. And Julian goes on to say that, you know, a lot of times when we feel restless, when we feel we cannot find peace, when we don't know what to do with our lives, a lot of the times it's because we are trying to seek that rest, that peace, that fulfillment within the hazelnut. But it's only until we see the hand of God that holds the tiny hazelnut that we start to understand that within such tiny things, we cannot get rest. But in God the Almighty, the all-wise and all-good, that is true rest. And that's the kind of mercy and grace that God offers to us. God looks upon our estate. God offers us His mercy and grace. We move on. And Mary continues to sing that he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. You know that phrase, he has shown strength with his arm? It's actually an Old Testament phrase and it comes out of the Exodus because in those times, the people with the strong and mighty arm were the kings. They were like the pharaohs, the Nebuchadnezzars, the Sennacheribs. But Mary prays, no, it is God who has shown strength with his arm. And she gets this from Exodus because God himself tells Moses, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with acts of great judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Notice who God helps in Mary's song. 
it's not the proud, the powerful, the prosperous, or the prominent that God helps. And of course, there's nothing wrong with being rich. Yeah? There's nothing wrong with being of high stature or status. The, the point is that these people are exalting themselves above God. And those who exalt themselves, God will bring them down. On the contrary, God shows his favor. God shows his strength for the hungry, the humble, those who recognize that they need help. And oftentimes, as we live in this world, we might not see this yet. Because we might think to ourselves, you know, where is the help of God? The world is such a strange, messy place. Where is the vindication of his people? Where is this God who Mary sings vindicates his people? But think about this. Israel has waited 400 years for a saviour. Even though Mary has had the angel come and announce to her that her child is born of the Holy Spirit, she still needs to go through the nine months of pregnancy. She still needs to go and walk back to Nazareth. <laughs> and finally, at the census, she still needs to walk back down to Bethlehem again, following Joseph. She still needs to raise the baby Jesus. Now, I don't know how baby Jesus was like as a baby. Maybe he was the most angelic baby that ever lived. Don't know. But raising a child is no joke, right? And after that, Mary has to watch a child die. Where is that vindication of his people? And yet, and yet, Mary's song challenges us to see that there is a truth embedded behind the physical, behind what we see, behind what things look like. Mary's song tells us that there is a God who has shown strength with his arm. He has been faithful in the past. He will continue to be faithful to his people. He will eventually vindicate his people. But he doesn't just vindicate his people. He also empowers his servants. And we see this in the last part of Mary's song, where Mary sings that God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to the fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He has helped. What kind of help? Of course, we have seen that God intervenes personally. We have seen God take Israel out of Egypt, deliver them from Pharaoh, bring them across the Red Sea, journey with them through the wilderness, bring them into the promised land, fight their battles in the promised land, establish for them a king in King David. We have seen that and God does do that. But perhaps the more ordinary means of grace is God's empowering of his servants to go through the present in full confidence that this is the strength that we need to go through each day. You see, God's people, God's servants need to be faithful to God's calling. And God empowers us today to walk by faith while we anticipate the final vindication when God will finally come again for his people in the future. Those of you who have been following the news know that since 1995, the Japanese have actually nominated a kanji character for every year. And just last week, this was the character that was nominated as the Japanese character for the year for 2022. This character is pronounced sen in Japanese and is equivalent to the Chinese word zan. Zan zhen de zan. It means strife, war battle. 
And the reason why the Japanese nominated this character is because they looked at the year that has just gone by and it has been characterized for them by two main things. First, the Ukraine war. Second, the assassination of their prime minister, Shinzo Abe. And I think what is true for the Japanese is at least partially true for us as well. Right? We may not be at war, but we have certainly felt the impacts of the war, whether we're talking about inflation or rising gas prices or difficulty in getting certain uh, grains or produce. Maybe some of you have gone through other things that have made the year difficult. Maybe you have gone through a loss of a job. Maybe you have a difficult boss to deal with in the marketplace. Maybe a family member has fallen sick. Or maybe yourself, you are experiencing mental health issues because of the difficulties of just living in, in these days. And we just don't know what is around the corner. We simply don't know. What is the interesting thing is that the runner-up to this word, the runner-up to this word by only 200 votes was the Japanese word an, and that's the same as the Chinese word an for, for uh, peace. Right? And I think that's a amazing reminder that behind the messiness of the world, as we look at the world that's around us, as we live life's challenges in today, there is that peace that just stands just behind us, that God promises to us, that God looks upon our state and knows what we're going through, that God offers us His mercy and His grace, that God vindicates His people and that God empowers us to walk through life faithfully even today. We ought to ask, who are we? Who are we that the God of all the world, all the earth, should care to know our pain, should care to know our hurt? And the answer that Casting Crowns gave us in that song is, it's not what I've done, not what I am, but because of who God is. And He is that love that came down at Christmas. And so as we come back to the Advent candles, we left the middle candle unlit. The middle candle is normally lit only on Christmas Eve or early in the morning on Christmas Day, and it is called the Christ candle. It's called the Christ candle because that's the day that Jesus Christ was born. That's what the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love all point to. But the fact that there is one more candle that is left unlit tells us that there is an anticipation and an invitation. The anticipation is that even though we may live in a world where things are not right, Christ has come. The invitation is for all of us, whether you are a Christian or you are a non-Christian, whether you are here for many times or here for the first time, whether you are a Christian who has been a Christian all your life or whether you have just received Jesus Christ recently, that invitation is for all of us. Because next week, next week we celebrate that Christ has come. But there's another twist in Mary's song. Notice that the words in yellow are all in this first person singular. Mary says, my soul, my spirit, my saviour, call me blessed, done great things for me. But notice that there's a movement in the song where the words in bold says, from generation to generation and to his offspring forever. My friends, I'd like to leave us and close this sermon with this. 
what Mary sang that day as she met Elizabeth. Despite the challenges, despite the difficulties, despite the uncertainties of life, that promise of love is for us, even now, even today. And it's not just an invitation for us, it's also an invitation for all our friends. And that's why next week we celebrate the gift of Christmas. So here's a little bit of a sneak preview. On the right is Henry. Some of you may have met him in BPJ. On the left is Nicole. Some of you may also have met her in BPJ. And the script for the skit is written by Jonathan, who is a covenanter at Woodlands. Now imagine Henry as God. And imagine God as a shopkeeper, who is actually offering gifts for Christmas. Anybody can come into the shop and take whatever they want, free gifts for Christmas. Now, how will different people respond? How will a little girl like Nicole respond to that gift? How will a rich man respond to that gift? Come next week. Bring your friends and invite them to come and experience this gift of Christmas told through skit and song. Right? So, here we have the love of Christmas. And my friends, today as we close, as I invite the worship team to come up, um, we're going to sing a song. And this song may be pretty new to you. It's titled The Goodness of Jesus by City Alight. And it reminds us really that God looks upon our state. He offers us His mercy. He vindicates His people. He empowers His servants. And I'd like us to just listen to the verse and the chorus once first before we sing the song together. station in life is, how the world and the year has been for you this year, God invites you to come. If you are a non-Christian, a pre-believer, God invites you to come too. God invites you to come and know His goodness, know the hope, the peace, the joy and the love that you can find in Him. And all you need to do, whether you are a Christian or a pre-believer, is to just come. The door is open. The Lord receives us 
And I just want to give us a few moments as we think about that. Say a prayer to the Lord, the Lord who looks upon our estate. The Lord who offers us His mercy and His grace. The Lord who vindicates His people. And the Lord who empowers His servant. Don't be afraid to tell God how the year has been. He already sees, He knows. He's here to deliver. If you don't yet know Jesus, you want to invite Him into your heart, all you need to do is ask. All you need to do is pray and tell Him that you want Him to be your Lord, your Saviour, your Master. And if you did that, we invite you to just talk to any covenanter who is sitting beside you or just visit us at the Newcomer's Corner. We'd love to share with you a bit more about who Jesus is. Now, congregation, if you are ready, can I invite you to rise with me as we sing this song together? Good. 
some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.